Welcome to ReChurch. I'm Marshall Fant, the Director of Church Consulting and Strategic Planning for Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. My purpose is to encourage pastors and church leaders as you refocus, renew, and revitalize your churches. We've established this podcast to offer practical tips and suggestions as you equip disciples to make disciples. Welcome back to ReChurch. Glad to have you with us. This is GFA's podcast on everything about the church. Have a special friend and a guest with us today, Pastor Chuck Phelps. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Marshall. Good to be here. Yeah, and so the topic of today is one I, I love to hear Chuck talk about, and that is preparing for the Sunday morning service. Uh, I think it's it's the Lord's Day. We all do a great job in preparing for worship, but I think one of the things as I travel in churches, and the reason I've asked Pastor Phelps to be with us this morning, is really just how do you prepare theologically, practically, for the unsaved to come into your church on Sunday morning and as God is drawing them. And then, so how does the local church then meet the need of getting the gospel to them? And then how does all this work into a normal Sunday morning? And, and again, I appreciate the chance we have to hear you go through this. So uh, Pastor Phelps, for those that aren't really familiar, tell everyone where you pastor and about your family and where all that is right now. Okay. I pastor the Colonial Hills Baptist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. I've been here 12 years. I've had the privilege of being active in pastoral ministry for a little over 40 years. Wow. And the Lord has blessed us with six children. So we have our eldest daughter, Rachel, who's down there with you in yeah, Clemson. Clemson, South Carolina, yeah. with her husband, Joseph, and four kids. Joseph's a professor at Clemson and their great blessing in life is to do international ministry at University Baptist Church there in Clemson. Our next daughter, Sharon, is a developmental therapist. She lives at home with us, and we're very thankful for that. Uh, she moves around with those who are in our community under the age of three and needing some special attention to get wow. them to thrive. And then our next in order, our son, Chad, and his wife, Courtney, uh, went to heaven yeah. uh, back a little over eight years ago. God allowed them to be involved in a bus accident, and uh, so they're no longer with us, but Chad was our youth pastor at that time. Our son Caleb and his wife Rachel live down in Florida, where Caleb is the pastor of the Faith Baptist Church of Palm Bay, Florida. They have two children and another one on the way. We're thankful for that. Our son Dan is a youth pastor with his wife Rianne up in Flushing, Michigan, right. at uh, Trinity Baptist Church of Flushing, Michigan. And then finally, our uh, grandson, who's also our son, Chase, uh, Chad and Courtney's son, who was 21 months old when wow. the bus accident occurred, uh, has been adopted by us, and we have the privilege of having him in our home. And the Chase is how old now, did you say? Chase will be 10. Wow. At the end of this wow. month. It's hard wow. to believe, but he's such a blessing, and we're so yes. very thankful for yeah. uh, God's goodness to us and allowing him to be spared. Amen. And the only the only probably difference Chuck and I are going to have with each other, he pulls this team called Ohio State. And, uh, of course, I'm a Clemson fan, anybody that knows that. But we'll, we'll get off college football and get into this. Okay, Brother Chuck, pray and prepare. Sunday morning, your services. What I first want you to discuss is theologically how you prepare to preach and some things that you have told me have molded your idea for Sunday morning. And one of them was from Ezekiel. And if you'll take that and, and run with how you view theologically the Sunday morning passage. 
and well, how you going to preach it and prepare it. You know, the, the, the Word of God gives to the pastor the challenge of doing the work of an evangelist. And if we evaluate our ministry week by week, probably the greatest opportunity that we as pastors have to share the gospel with the lost is going to come during the Sunday morning service. And so uh, I honestly look at the Sunday morning service as an opportunity to share the gospel, knowing that there will be those who will be there who perhaps have never heard and perhaps may never hear again. So there ought to be an urgency about that, uh, as Ezekiel would say, that their blood would not be upon our hands. I also look at that from a personal perspective. Uh, My wife trusted Christ as Savior at the age of 14 and desperately prayed for her own family to come to Christ, was able to get her parents to come with her from time to time to the morning service at the Baptist Church, sat there with their lost family members praying that this would be the day that they would come to know the Lord, and sometimes going home disappointed that the gospel was not clearly presented during the service. I think for our church family to have a zeal for reaching the lost, it needs to be modeled. Right. Uh, that doesn't mean that I have to spend 100% of the message preaching the gospel, sure. but I do think that the pertinent points of the gospel need to be included in a Sunday morning service in particular when the lost may be there so that the church family as a whole has a soul consciousness and an awareness of the lost round about us and the opportunity. Again, we don't measure that by how many people come down the aisle. Right. Um, if we did, we could be disappointed, but I would be more disappointed uh, to have the church family week after week hear a good life lesson, but never see an ultimate lesson uh, modeled by the pastor that there are souls round about us who need to hear the wonderful truth that the gospel gives us to share. So basically, each Sunday morning, you're finding a way to weave the gospel message into your service. I mean, you preach expositionally. I've heard you preach. But you you find a way to weave it into each Sunday morning service. Is that correct? That's right. I I think it was Spurgeon that talked about finding that blood-red trail that Uh, leads to the cross from every text. And so, yes, from from some vantage point, we're going to look to to Calvary. We're going to look to the cross. We're going to see the gospel somewhere in the Sunday morning message. All right. Now, I think the next question I want to ask you really came from one of my sons. Both of my sons did internships under you. And I think he mentioned something about the theological shelves in your bookcase and how you viewed those as well as presenting Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. So explain. I think it's a great picture. So if you would take a few minutes and explain that as long as you don't get me into trouble with it, I'll, I'll, no, I'll try. No, no. But I have been known to say that I have three shelves in my library. On the top shelf, my general theologies. These are the theologies upon which most of us are going to agree. Uh, and I want to major on that. There's plenty there for me to share. Sure. On Sunday morning. And just in general ministry. Okay. All right. Good. Um, the second shelf, of course, is my particular theologies. I believe in baptism uh, by immersion of the believer. I believe in pre-tribulational rapture. These are particular positions that I take. I'm a dispensationalist as opposed to a covenant theologian when it comes to the history of what God is doing. And then my bottom shelf, my third shelf, is my weird theologies, (laughs) not just my particular theologies, but my uh, eccentric theologies, if you will. Unique, Um, unique. Yeah, I mean, I have opinions about did the angels cohabitate with a man yeah. I have opinions about what Christ did post-crucifixion, pre-resurrection, when he visited uh, the souls held captive. Those are probably not going to come up in my preaching <laughs> very often. I, I don't want to major on the minors. And so Sunday morning service in particular 
I do uh, tend to be in the general theologies right. Sunday evening and Wednesday night. I might go into my particulars and my weird theologies. Uh, that, that remains in my prayer closet right. um, between me and my very special friends. Well, I think it's important because all of us have those. How are you divided? I love the picture of the shelves of a bookshelf. But we need to make sure Sunday morning that we're, we're staying in, in, in an area where most people will be able to understand. Whereas I think on the other nights, we may be able to have questions and answers, that type thing. Yeah, and so. it's not just the theology that we present, Brother Marsh. I had a fellow come by and give me a, a very unusual compliment a number of years ago. This fellow had a Bible college education, had a master's degree from a Christian college, had taught uh, in Christian colleges, Christian schools, and he and his wife were in our church. And he came by the door and he said, you know, we've been thinking about this. We've been here a little over a year now. And this is probably the first church that we've ever attended where we honestly think we could be, bring a visitor with confidence wow. that we wouldn't be embarrassed. Mm. I thought, that's a pretty striking thing to say, but I think I do understand what he's saying. There ought to be in the service a tenderness to the, to the visitor and an understanding that sometimes our mannerisms, our buffoonery can really yeah. turn people off. Yeah, it can. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's tie into this. So as you are preparing and preaching, there's also an element of prayer that you have led your church into. And I think you have a particular prayer meeting on Sunday evening at a set aside time for your people to go before the Lord, for God to use your messages in your church. Explain that, how that works, what time of day it is, who gathers, what are some, how do they pray, this type thing. Sure. So we have a Wednesday evening prayer, prayer meeting, as many do, and we've simply added another intentional meeting to our schedule. It works well for us. We have a five o'clock prayer hour. I didn't invent this. I inherited it in a prior ministry. But right, is this on Sundays in, you're speaking? Sunday evening, yes, Sunday at evening, five okay. o'clock. So as people come, it's not unusual for me to remind folks, hey, fill in a prayer card this morning. We want to bear one another's burdens. The Lord said his house should be a house of prayer. We'll gather those up, and during the 5 o'clock hour, uh, we have a time where men are in one room and ladies in another room, and we're praying in those rooms. Now, that's the same time our choir is rehearsing, and, of course, right. that means we have to have nursery and uh, ministries for the children uh, during that same hour, and we do provide those ministries. Right. But it's just been a sweet time. The intentional part of it, Brother Marsh, is uh, we always pray for a spirit of revival in our church. Mm. We always pray for God to send out laborers to the white and harvest fields, and we pray also that the Lord would give us uh, guests to come, that we would be clear in the gospel, and that people would respond. So we're prevailing in prayer that the Lord would allow us to have more than simply an open-door service, but Amen. a service that makes a difference in the life of some lost person. All right, so what I want to explain, we're not pragmatic, I'm just, but I want to use an illustration of as you pray and you prepare, and your church is looking for God to use the Sunday morning services in such a way as you've described. God also opened your church's eyes to surrounding needs of different nations that God was bringing your way. So explain a little bit how, again, I think as we pray and, and God opens our eyes. So right now, as you prepare for a Sunday morning service, you do more than simply prepare in English because God's opened your doors, right? Yes, we have a, the blessing of being able to participate with Brother Matt Barfield in international ministries, but it wasn't always so. When uh, I came here, 
We're a typical quasi-suburban church. And the Lord brought a dear Filipino pastor who had planted a church in the Pensacola area of Florida down in Milton. And he came to Indianapolis. And as I got to know him, he explained his burden for Filipinos in our area. And I had to confess, I didn't, I didn't really know that we had Filipinos in our area. He said, well, there are Filipinos everywhere, Brother Phelps. <laughs> and I, I said, well, if you have a burden for them, what can we do to reach them? And we started a Sunday school class, the Filipino American Sunday school class. And as that grew, I took a trip to Myanmar. And while in Myanmar, I developed a heart for the people there, of course. And Judson has always been my favorite missionary to Burma. Came back here to uh, the United States, picked up the newspaper here in Indianapolis and read an article that said that Indianapolis has more Burmese refugees than any other city in America. Honestly, Brother Marsh, I, I had no idea. I put the newspaper down and I prayed. I said, Lord, I don't think I've ever met any. It sure would be a blessing, seeing as we have such good connections through missions to Myanmar, if we can meet some. Two weeks later, I got a call from Mark Felber down on the south side, and he said, hey, I've got a fellow coming to our church here who knows of a Burmese fellow who lives up near you in Nora, and he's uh, interested in church planting. Would you like to meet him? (laughs) Well, obviously. I said, sure, I would. So he came to the service the next week could not speak English, but his friend was with him. And I did an interview with him and took him across the street. And with the permission of our church family, we opened the doors of our annex building or our original building. Right. Uh, it's a very lovely uh, facility. And we now have 120 Burmese people in an autonomous church. Now we help them with counsel and give them facilities. Right. But that's a Burmese Baptist church and they're doing well. Meanwhile, Matt Barfield was coming through to see family, and we sat down to uh, talk about the Lord's blessings. He's a missionary with International Partnership Missions, and uh, I was telling him about these two ministries because I knew he loved internationals, and God moved him here, and we've continued to develop international ministries, but long and short of it is one of the tools that we've discovered to open this vault called the Independent Baptist Church in America, this vault of all these wonderful treasures is closed if you can't speak our language. And so for the first time in my life, I'm now producing a manuscript of my Sunday morning message. I get it to Brother Matt on Friday. He has developed an app that he's able to use to get that into various languages. I was going to show you in our church bulletin that on Sunday when people come in, oh, I hope I have a bulletin. Well, you know, that's one right. of the rare times of my life. We have a QR code on the bulletin. Right. You can pull up that QR code, and my sermon actually is already in about 11 or 12 languages. When people come in, they can see it on the app, and uh, that's a real blessing. If people are interested in that, by the way, I should let them know, uh, Marsh, that they can reach out to me at cphelps at colonialindy.org, and we can connect them to those tools. Sure. But it's just a wonderful thing. People from all over the world can come into our church. You know, it's in Chinese, it's in Korean, the message, and they're following along. I'm live translated now in Swahili for the Congolese and Kenyans. And they're sitting in our service following the message I'm preaching in their own language. So it's almost like an ESL class. Sure. And it's just been awesome. So we also have a Congolese class now. We have an Eastern European group with Russians and Moldovians and it's just growing. It's a blessing. Yeah. And we'll put all that in the show notes that people can reference okay. and, and with your email address and your church's website and all that. 
But I think the whole point is, as you pray and prepare, God will do this. And I'm convinced that churches, they're not preparing to minister to the unsaved on Sunday morning. But again, your five o'clock Sunday afternoon hour is, as you said, opening the vault, right? So um, making people aware of what's there. But I'm convinced you pray and you prepare and you've done both very well. Anything else you want to say about the international ministry that comes in? So they're in the service with you on Sunday mornings, right? Except for the Burmese. Yeah, we've given them an identity in their Sunday school classes okay, where they can sing in their language and enjoy that. But then we encourage them to be part of the church service and make the language available. And always with the burden of realizing that the first generation will often come together and coalesce around their own culture and their own language. But what about the next generation? Their children are in the public schools. They're learning English. This is becoming their home. Sure. Where will they be? And reality is a lot of first-generation Christians coming in or newly reached from other cultures, if they stay within that culture group, their children, that will not appeal to their children in the years to come. So we're seeing them transition over and getting their children integrated into the Sunday school classes, and that's just really, really exciting. So you have an intentional assimilation process with this, is what you're saying. You've already thought through the English, the next generation is going to be English, Let's get them involved in Sunday school. Let's get them involved in a church so they know what church is about. And they're not on the fringes. You're assimilating them in. And again, you're praying, preparing, and have an intentional assimilation process. Is that an easy way to put it? Is that too simple? No, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, we all have our experiences. My mother went to a Swedish covenant church growing up, and they spoke in Swedish and sang in Swedish up in Massachusetts. And when they voted with regard to, will they change the language that they use? They voted no. Well, that, that church isn't there any longer. Right, yeah, that next well, generation's gone. Yeah, It's gone, and, and yeah. that's a constant burden, and we want to be able to, to help people see that and make a difference in their lives. All right, so let's just say my wife and I visit Colonial Hills for the first time Sunday morning. Okay, we're coming in, and we're new to the area. What would it look like? I've been in your church, and your church, you have designed it and those before you to make it very, put it this way, very guest-friendly. So what would happen on a typical Sunday as I, as I pull into your parking lot? From there, walk me through to the point of being seated and, and ready to go for the service. Well, of course, we have some parking spaces that are marked for visitors. Mm-hmm. I wish that they were laid out a little bit more obviously, but they're right. there with flags and things of that nature. As people come to the door, there's always somebody to open the door, and the greeters there are there are, are there uh, frequently enough that they know who a visitor is when they come? They're just steps away from a banner that says welcome. Right. We, took, we okay. took away the counter of the welcome center to try to be even more open. All right, let's, st- let's stop right there because most churches you go in still have the counter, and you got people behind the counter, and yeah. then I'm on this. Side. So explain what you did there. So you removed really the welcome center counter per se. Yeah, we do, we do the, yeah. the standing height tables, kind okay. of the sure. – uh, so people can have a table there if they need it for signing things up and, mm-hmm. and such. But it's just more of an open feel. Welcome is on the wall. The people there are there to greet folks. Right. It's pretty evident. Um, this the is usher, their ministry, and they are expecting, yes. they're expecting guests every Sunday. They're prepared. Yes. And, uh, wouldn't you say it's exciting for them to see Absolutely. That they're, praying on, they're praying on Sunday night, and here comes a the guest they've been praying yes. for? Yeah. And, and we want our ushers to be involved in that, too. I always try to tell our ushers, listen— realize that the person who comes in who's a guest, this may be their one and only opportunity in life to hear the gospel and be saved. Much like so Linda's that, parents, like Linda, your yeah. wife prayed. Yeah, okay, for her parents. So, and, 
Yeah. So the ushers are particularly looking to help seat those who are our guests and give yeah. them a prime seat. Then during the service, you know, it's very difficult today to get people to come out of the anonymous shell. Sure. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. come, they want to, you know, huddle yeah. somewhere and be left yeah. alone often. Church is not a place to be left alone. Church is about community. And so how do we get that shell broken down? Well, you know, I'm, I'm willing to steal any good idea I can find. <laughs> and, what, and one of those good ideas that we found recently is we have a, a gift bag that we have prepared for people. So in the service, toward the, the early part of the service, I'll stand up and say, we'd like to welcome everyone who's here with us today, both regulars as well as especially those who are with us for the first time. If you're with us for the first time this morning, we've prepared a sack of gifts that we'd like to have our ushers come and give to you right now. So ushers, if you don't mind coming and letting people see what we've prepared for them, inside the, the bag, you're going to find a memento of this uh, time that you've come to visit, some materials that will help you to get to know our church. There are even some items in there for your kiddos and some candy, and we won't even tell on you if you eat your kids' candy. <laughs> So uh, just wave over one of the ushers. They'll put that in your hands. We just want to say thank you for being part of Colonial Hills Baptist Church this morning. Now, you'll notice in that appeal (laughs) that I said something about stuff in there for kiddos, because if a family comes in with kids, their kids are not going to let those ushers go by without getting that sack. got Got it. Got it. You know, some people are timid enough that they won't even ask for the sack of goodies, but we're finding that most people will. Well, now they've got the sack in their hand. Instead of a badge on their on their shoulder, right. uh, they're identifying. Everybody can tell that's a visitor in my row. Sure. So then I'll I'll talk to people about filling in prayer cards. I'll talk about some upcoming things. Just a few announcements, so the ushers can get all the way up the aisle. And then I'll say, now that you received that uh, sack of gifts, you're going to find on the side of it that we have a connection card and a pen. And if you'd be so kind as to fill out that connection card for us, our ushers are going to be coming back during the next song to gather those from you. This will give us an opportunity to more formally thank you for being part of the service this morning. We want to get to know you. We want to be a blessing to you. So fill that out for us. Well, now what's the person who got that sack going to do? Sit there and not give us that connection (laughs) card? you got to kind of work it. But, you know, we want to know who they are because— when that service is over, we're gathering up those cards, and I can tell you that by Monday, actually, I often will know the names of the people even before they get out the door because often the connection cards are given to me while the final prayer is being said in the auditorium, so I can call people by name. Right. Okay. Uh, uh, we, we send a text typically on Sunday and say, hey, thank you for visiting with us today. We're going to try to give you a call tomorrow. It'll be from this same number. We want to get to know your family, and we have a gift that we'd like to bring by your home. We actually get crumble cookies now, and it costs about 12 bucks a, a box, but they're really nice. Yeah, yeah. And we, we'll call them up and say, hey, we'd like to bring some crumble cookies by your home. And uh, again, just pray for your family and get to know you a little bit better. Uh, would you be available Tuesday, Thursday, or Saturday? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, again, it's tough for them to say, I'm not available any of those days. <laughs> we don't say, what day would you be available and have sure. them initiate? yeah, yeah. And then uh, uh, we really believe in getting into people's lives and getting connected and letting them them know we love them and we care about them. And of course, that gives soul winning opportunities when you're able to get into their home. And the fact we'd like to come by and pray with you. I mean, you're absolutely. absolutely. I know you've cultivated a culture of prayer. And so let's talk one more thing. So as your people have been praying for God to use Sunday morning service and the guest comes in, your people see the guest. What are they praying, Chuck? What would your people, as they see the guests, come in? 
Well, you know, we model that not only at five o'clock hour, but also every Wednesday evening at the very top of our prayer sheet, we have a list of names of folks for whom we're praying that they be saved. Yes. Our people are aware right now of various uh, husbands that are lost, various visitors who have come. So I think you have to foster that service by service. That we're looking for the lost yeah. to be one, yeah. and you can prevail in prayer. Some sow, some water. God gives the increase, yes. but we're not going to see any increase if we're not sowing and watering. No, and I think we all agree that worship, I like the word participatory. We we sing together. We sing together. We study the word together. But I think the other side of that is we all can now pray together for God to use His word not only in our hearts, but God brought these guests in. So, Lord, please yeah. meet that. I think that culture of prayer is so important, and you can participate on the Sunday morning service by praying for yes. these guests as they come into the church. So is that, you know, is that a fair this, way to say it? Yeah, we're, and we're in this church culture tension, and we realize that the primary purpose of the pastor is to feed the flock so that they can be involved in the work of the ministry. Right. And the primary purpose of people gathering together is to worship the Lord. And reality is a lost person doesn't have the right. spiritual capacity to truly worship. And so we're kind of in this tension point of, so what's the purpose of this service? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but we realize that as Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says to them, you know, as you're a word-centered church gathering together to worship the Lord, there will come in those who are lost, yeah. and they will fall down saying, the Lord is truly in this place. Mm-hmm. And he, he's cautioning them, of course, from becoming emotionally centered and entering into the charismatic gifts, if you will, or the, the, the languages, the tongues and the service, and some have, you know, this to do. And he says, you know, away with that, let's be word centered. I want to have a word centered church, mm. but let's pray that the lost will come in and that they will fall down and recognize that the Lord is here in this place. Amen. So we can't eliminate the lost person's importance from our gatherings. And I agree. Again, that this is the key. All right, so as, as you wrap up your message and you've given the gospel, you give some type of invitation, and then you're leaving, whether they respond publicly or not, and so you're in the back of the auditorium to greet them on their way out. Is that, is yeah. that, do I follow the flow? Is yes. That, in fact, at the end, typically I'll have another pastoral staff member come and close in prayer and give a couple okay. final announcements, and he'll say— Listen, we have pastoral staff members at all of the doors on your way out. Pastor Phelps and Linda are at the center door. If, uh, if you'd like to meet them, they would certainly like to meet you. We'd like to again say to our guests, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. And we trust you found a friendly place where God's word Amen. is being taught. and God's people are welcoming to you. By this point in the service, they ought to know several things. That you expected them to come. You're prepared yes. for them to come. They've yes. heard the word of God preached clearly with something with the gospel interwoven within, they've heard music to stir their heart, and we expect the power of God to be working. And so when they leave, they should be able to say, this place is a place that welcomes us and preaches the word. If they walk out with that, do you feel like they have experienced what you want them to experience? Very much so. And, and, you know, we have to remember, often people come alone. We have a Mm. lot of singles who come. Often they're senior citizens. But a special burden for those who are coming with children um, because everybody knows that, you know, the responsibility of protecting our children within our community today is huge. And so I want to be really sensitive to that. So, you know, we, we have a nursery that's cleaned between every service. 
There's never a toy out that hasn't been sanitized. It's locked down. We have good security measures. We have a good security team. So when I'm suggesting to people, for instance, there's going to be a dismissal of kids for junior church, and you're going to hear me say, now, if you're a first-timer here and you'd like your child to participate with the other children in the children's church ministry this morning, please stop by the Welcome Center area, and someone will be there to register uh, your child so that we can reunify your family following the service. We'll get your yeah. phone number and things. Uh, we want you to have a, a pleasant experience, and we want your children to be enjoying safety as they enjoy learning God's Word. Amen. So I appeal to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing I want to kind of explain to our listeners, they can say, well, yeah, you know, Colonial Hills, I mean, your typical Sunday morning service will be how many? Um, well, we don't yeah. talk numbers. We All talk right. people. Okay. But yeah. what I'm saying is they're going to say, okay, yeah, Marsh, they got a church staff. He's got pastors. He's got people to translate. But really, everything you've said can go to a church of 40, a church of 100, or a church of 200. Everything you've said, those principles of, of cultivating a, a culture of prayer, of preaching in a way that the message can be clearly understood by all, preparing for the unsaved. So what I want to encourage all pastors that are listening and all deacons that are listening, it's not just a church of 600 that can do that. Right, Chuck? You want to comment so on that? One of the most striking things that I heard when I was a student in college, Dr. Bob III said, hey, your church is going to take on the personality of you as the pastor probably within the first three years. Yeah. That scared me to death. I thought, man, what a responsibility. <laughs> and I, you yeah. know, but I have been, and you have been to churches that 40, 50 people, I, I mean, the Lord gave us five children. So when we would pile in as a younger family with our five kids, it's hard to be invisible when there's seven of us walking in. Exactly. And, and on vacations, there were times we'd walk into churches you know, 50, 60, 70 people. And it's quite obvious that we just <laughs> changed the dynamic of that service right. and nobody said hi to us. I know. And the pastor might at the end, but um, it, it really bothered me when we were in New England, the church was growing and, and people were almost phobic about it. Wow, you know, New England, we don't have larger churches. And, and I, I really wrestled with the Lord on this matter and decided, you know, I'm at peace if the church is soul conscious, if the church is mm -hmm friendly to the community, if we're real about connecting with each other. Right. I'm not worried about the number of the people. And it wouldn't matter if the church were small or large. A large church can be cold and unfriendly, and a small church can be cold and unfriendly. So we have to say, how do we change the temperature in this room? Amen. And I think the pastor and his wife model it. Yes. I, I think other people get it, and we have to teach it and show it. So, yeah, that's really important. So, and wouldn't you say if the pastor's not going to be evangelistic, the church is not going to be evangelistic? As a, as a rule of I totally agree with that. So if that, we're not showing the model, if there's no urgency in us about the lost round about us, why would there be urgency in people who are, you know, the old adage, you can't lift somebody up higher than where you stand. Right. And, and we better be standing tall when it comes to reaching the lost. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'll just end with this from my side, then I'll ask you to wrap it up. So in the position I'm in, I'm in a lot of churches. And a lot of the churches that I go into are, some are struggling, Okay. But of every struggling church, the two elements that seem to be missing, and I know this is a broad brush, okay, but are they don't have a culture of prayer, and they don't have effective evangelism. I think churches either get discouraged or distracted. So I think your message this morning to churches is just so right on point, okay? It's just so right on point of continuing to do this. All right, so Pastor Phelps, anything else you want to say in, in closing? Any wrap-up thoughts you have here? So— 
I do think that, you know, our theology does impact our practice, of course. And reality is I give invitations at the end of services. And I know that a lot of churches don't. And I've wondered, is that a theological thing or is that a pragmatic thing? I don't take it personally when somebody doesn't come down the aisle. I have the, the confidence that some plant, some water, God gives the increase. That's right. And so I guess I'd encourage my fellow pastors, don't worry if 99% of the time nobody's coming forward. The one time that they will, you're going to be thanking the Lord that you were given that invitation. Yeah. But I do think that during that time, you are showing the church family the importance of realizing we're not sure. Mm. Giving all diligence, make your calling and election sure. We're not sure of the eternal standing of those who have come into that service. We want to model that because of that, there's an urgency to always be sharing that now is the time, today is the day. So for a pastor to have that kind of a burden, I think that is picked up as well as the personality of the pastor. It is. And I think you would agree that your members, your people, your church that are praying, they're going to be more willing to invite a neighbor and a family member because on Sunday morning, they don't want the blood on their hands. And right. I think at least from my, from where I am, that our members knew that if they brought their family, they know what's going to happen. Like you said, they wouldn't be ashamed to bring them. They know how it's going to be presented. But it is a way that your church people can bring their friends, their family, the people they're praying for, and understood the gospel will be clearly presented. I think the more that culture is in the church, it's just a domino effect. Any, any comments on that? No, I, I totally agree with yeah, that. Yeah. All right, Brother Phelps, any other closing comments you got? Any other challenges you want to give? No, nope, it's a blessing All to be able to talk right, to you today, right. Mark. Again, your contact information will be in the show notes. And again, Colonial Hills Baptist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, grateful for your ministry there, thankful for just so much of the influence on so many pastors. In fact, I use your name this morning, a uh, a pastor was in my office, and we we're talking about he's looking for a replacement. I said, well, what you want to tell you is talk to pastors who do a lot of internships, and, and I mentioned you as one of those men. So thanks for your impact, not only at your church, but all the men you've had come through and you've mentored and you have trained so many. So, Chuck, thanks for your ministry. Tell Linda hello for us. Thanks for okay, all y'all do. God bless. Thank you. you too. Thank you. You're listening to ReChurch, a podcast of Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. If you would like more information about our ministry or how we may assist you and your church, visit us at gfamissions.org slash consulting.